Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Guys, thanks so much for having me. I feel like I haven't preached in a long time. Um, hopefully it's like riding a bike, but um, just really wonderful to be together this evening um, and be kind of pressing into the Easter story uh, a little bit. If uh, you haven't been with Shaw Vineyard for you know, the, the last couple of weeks or you haven't been tracking what's been happening online, and um, we are in a year-long process looking at this whole concept of pilgrimage, um, exploring what it means to kind of be on a journey uh, towards intimacy with God. And we're, so we're exploring pilgrimage in all its wonderful forms. And um, we are on something of a Lenten journey at the moment as we sort of stop at a couple of, of key moments in the Gospels looking at uh, the story of, of Jesus and even you know His own pilgrimage uh, towards the cross. And so tonight... Um, we find ourselves looking particularly at two stories, um, uh, one uh, sort of preceding the, the cross events, uh, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, um, and then also uh, an encounter uh, with Pilate um, and him choosing to wash his hands off any kind of responsibility. And so um, really tonight what I want to do is I just want to uh, go through sort of three movements. So I'd like to start with the uh, juxtaposition of um, what Pilate does with his hands and what Jesus chooses to do with his hands. Um, and then I want to uh, kind of move into a second movement that, that actually kind of opens up uh, a little bit that what is the invitation of Jesus in, uh, in washing the feet of his disciples? And then finally, uh, I want to move into something of an experience. And to do that, I want to, um, I, I want to do a, a Lectio Divina prayer exercise with you guys, um, just to give us uh, a moment to experience that a little bit. I noticed that that just now that might be quite scary to see because has anyone been in like a slightly awkward church setting where it's like we're reading about Jesus washing the feet? Now we're going to wash each other's feet, right? It's sort of like a youth group trauma of some kind of having to like being like an awkward teenage kid, you know, washing someone else's feet. And honestly, that sounds horrific to me. Um, so I'm not going to do that. It's going to be very, very sort of I don't know cerebral and. And, and you very much just get to keep your own personal space and not enter the personal space or feet area of other people. Sound, sound like a deal? Is everyone okay with that? Or is someone like, oh, I actually don't want to ask if anyone enjoys washing, <laughs> enjoys washing feet or anything? It's very weird. Um, how about we pray? Uh, Jesus, we, we choose in this moment to just... Uh, still our, ourselves a little bit. We turn our attention and our affection towards you. Lord, we delight in your presence. We delight in your love and we delight in your grace. And Lord, with the global church, we just, um, we sort of uh, just become really aware of this, of this Lenten moment that uh, we are called uh, in this time to prepare ourselves for this story of the death and resurrection. Lord, for many of us who have been around church, we, 
we understand the story, we hear the story, we're around it a lot of the time. It's, it's been an important part of our lives. And so um, there's the real potential for it to, to, um, to dullen. And so, and so, Lord, we just ask that you would, uh, you would capture us, that you would captivate us in this moment, that these stories uh, might brim with color this evening, that even though we explore themes we've heard before, even though we read words we've heard before, Lord, that we would, we would find something new and invigorating and uh, profoundly beautiful in them. So let your presence be near, Lord. Amen. And so we uh, start with the juxtaposition. We're going to be, a li- we're not really going to work uh, very chronologically. We're going we're gonna to be jumping between uh, two scriptures, one in Matthew 27 um, and one in John chapter 13. Um, they sort of occur at different times. Uh, uh, the scene in Matthew happens after the scene in John, but we're going to start um, by looking at the story of Pilate. Um, so this is in Matthew 27 verses 11 to 26, if you're inclined uh, to read along in your, Bible, in your Bibles uh, this is what it says. Um, Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, But rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Um, quite a crazy story. And it's, it's actually interesting because in the context of tonight, we're sort of juxtaposing Pilate against Jesus and all this sort of thing. So it's easy to kind of just just ramps straight to having a go at Pilate. Um, but I actually just want to sort of caveat that or just put a little asterisk by it. Um, the interesting thing about Pilate in that is that in some parts of the church, he's actually a martyr. Um, he, uh, he is seen in this moment as actually, you know, just not wanting to be associated at all and actually in a way kind of like honoring Jesus. So I just want to sort of put that on, on here. Um, not, that I, not that I necessarily... Uh, uh, agree with everything that happens in the story, but it's, he's an interesting character. Um, there's a few other things that are of note as well that I, that I think, just because it's fun to kind of nerd out a little bit, um, are just fun for us to explore in this story. Um, 
that whole thing uh, around um, now at the feast, uh, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. This is the only sort of space in history we've kind of got this reference. Um, we know from Jesus sort of even outside the Gospels, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of evidence for, this, for this, uh, this trial that takes place. But this one little thing, this idea of one prisoner being released, this is the only time that's ever recorded. There's no other record in history of any kind of governor or political figure during some kind of feast actually letting someone go. So there are even some sort of theologians and scholars who have sort of wondered, this, perhaps this was an attempt by Pilate to try and actually help Jesus out um, just a little bit, um, to actually try and open a doorway, thinking that obviously people are not going to murder an innocent man. And it kind of backfired a little bit. Anyway, that's just a little, that's just a little by and by, um, a little something for you to think about um, just a little bit. But there is, um, there is some things uh, that we can see. When we, look at, when we look at the character of Pilate in this story, we see someone who has the hands of uh, maintenance and avoidance. Let me tell you what I'm talking about when I talk about that. Uh, when I talk about maintenance, we're talking about someone who is very interested in maintaining their, their personal status, their political status, their social status. Um, they are very interested in maintaining the status quo. There is a desire to sort of not rock the boat. There's more of a concern for his own well-being, um, sort of maintaining uh, the peace of the crowd a little bit, then the, rather than what's moving towards that which is sort of just and good and beautiful, there's a real desire to maintain. Um, and then also just this idea of avoiding responsibility. Um, Sometimes I think we see this very often in the political realm, right? There's this, there's this sort of desire to just cast blame onto the other side, right? And we get, we get sort, of, sort of stuck in, these, in this sort of dualistic way of thinking. It's very easy to kind of get in the partisan boat and say, you know, that side's wrong. They're the reason these things ha- haven't happened. Um, this crisis is because of those things that they did three years ago, so on and so forth. There's a real desire to avoid uh, uh, responsibility. There's no... There's no sort of um, movement towards taking responsibility for the thing at hand. And so the reality is with Pilate, it was absolutely in his power to be able to say, this person is innocent. We are not going to murder him. That would have been the good and just thing. He acknowledges this man is innocent. Good leaders make hard decisions. Good leaders make unpopular decisions. And so the criticism on Pilate in this moment is that he became more concerned about maintaining his political power, his personal status, and the sort of goodwill of the people. That is the crime that we see Pilate here. And so when he washes his hands, it's actually this like, this I wouldn't even say personal. It's deeply selfish. It's an unwillingness to do the thing that needs to be done. And it's ultimately an unjust act in avoiding responsibility. Jesus, on the other hand, shows us what the hands of definition and justice look like. In John 13 to uh, 14 to 15, we see this phenomenal story just take place just, you know, sort of prior to um, Jesus' arrest. And, 
And, um, <clears throat> and in it, what Jesus does is, is his disciples are gathered for this feast. And uh, we're going to read the scripture a little bit later. But they're all gathered together and, and, and Jesus sort of pulls up this bowl of water takes off his outer layer of his robe, wraps a towel around his waist, and then goes along each and every one of his disciples washing their feet. It was actually a very normal thing to have your feet washed in first century Israel. It was something that, you know, normally the lowest person in the room, the person of the lowest social status, they would, they would wash the feet. It was a way of serving. In fact, for the rabbi, it would have been very normal for one of his disciples to wash the feet. Normally, you would wash the feet of, of the person who is the wisest in the room. And so it would be very normal, very appropriate for one of these disciples to wash his feet. And so we see in Jesus this complete sort of subversion of expectation, a complete um, upending of the reality that they live in. This is what Jesus does. He paints a picture. He defines a new kind of reality um, that looks like humility in service of others. You see, Jesus embodies a new kind of justice. Um, I think, uh, you know, before, I actually think, yeah, a couple months ago when I, when I preached, I spoke about this Jewish concept of mishpat, this idea of justice, and that it is a, it is a justice that is wholly oriented towards the other. It's this relinquishing of self. It's ensuring that those around us have the capacity and the ability to be lifted up and to be, and to be treated with, with dignity and honor and, and equality and love. This is the idea of mishpat. And so what Jesus does is he embodies this new kind of justice, this mishpat, in how he orients himself towards his disciples, towards these people who have been learning with him and moving with him. He turns everything that they know and they think and they do and they are expecting on its head. This is not what a rabbi should do, what a good leader should do. And yet here Jesus is defining it for them. It says this in John 13, 14, 15. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So not only does he model it, but he communicates to it. He communicates it. This to me is really interesting because often in the Western church, we've taken a story that happens in Matthew's gospel, the, the Great Commission, and we've, we've, we've elevated that to the Great Commandment. Now, we can have a conversation about the Great Commission the other time, but I would argue that evangelism should never be elevated over service because service is the starting point for all relationships. Service is the basic thing that we can offer. It's the, it's the, and, and here we see this is what Jesus commands his followers to do. It is in service that relationship starts. It is in service that people encounter a new kind of kingdom reality. And it is in service that people begin a journey towards Christ, a new pilgrimage. So Jesus defines and embodies and moves people towards this new reality. 
And so now we move a little bit into this idea of the invitation. What is it that we see inside this, um, inside this invitation of Jesus? I want us to just sort of very briefly for a moment, just imagine us in this space. Because the disciples, as you can imagine, they would have watched this scene play out with a sort of indignation and astonishment. It would have been so bizarre to see this Lord, this rabbi that, that they had served, washing their feet. And I can imagine that as they're watching, a certain anxiety would begin to build. And in fact, um, for one of them, Simon Peter in particular, it's, it's, uh, it's this incredibly anxious, incredibly exposing moment to have this rabbi that he serves wash his feet. And so there's this uncomfortable thing, this, this sort of, this dissonance that's felt in this moment. And yet Jesus uses it as, as an opportunity to bring people into this new reality. He invites them, like I said before, John 13, 14, 15. If, if I have washed your feet in this way, you ought to wash one another's feet. He invites us to, to act in the same way. And I always think about this, this thing of like putting on the towel, like it's, it's, it's this making yourself ready. It's this very sort of obvious symbol. It's getting yourself ready to, to, to do the work, to do the serving. And if it's that sort of posture that like, okay, I'm going I'm, I'm to get myself ready to enter that space. There's a few things I think that, that the disciples and for us, we would be asked to replicate. So just as Jesus, in sort of showing this, this servant-heartedness of God, in putting on the towel and in washing the feet, then we too are to replicate that truth, that we have come from God, that we carry this with us, that we want to embody this mishpat. We want to communicate to people that that we are a safe place to be vulnerable. This, I think, uh, you know, coming back to that little joke about washing feet before, there's, I really don't like my feet being touched at all. And I think my feet are pretty gross. So there's a, there's a certain vulnerability that's required in that space to, to let someone in and wash. And so that creating those spaces, creating those opportunities is, is something that Jesus does. And, the, and what we can do, there's an invitation to create spaces and pockets of vulnerability, of safety, where, where people can feel free from anxiety. We get to offer something that is, is hopeful and beautiful and that elevates and lifts others up, that, that honors their humanity. This is all inherent in this invitation. Jesus offered an, ex an example to his disciples that was a sharp alternative to all of the available models around them. He broke decisively with the model of control used by the Roman Empire. He broke with the model of his religious context of stratification and purity. He broke with all the social realities that control um, and stratification produce and found himself free and traveling light. 
in his great act of humility and washing, he broke with all the models of humanity that are visible in our own time and place. The rat race of productivity, the fear for survival, the frenzy of accumulation, and the deathly sense of self-sufficiency. And then to be sure that we had not, and then to be sure uh, that he had not missed his point, he said to the disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By that we will all know that you are my disciples. By that, yeah, you will all know that you are my disciples if you have that love for one another. And so in this act, in this moment um, of washing the disciples' feet, Jesus summoned and constituted an alternative community of which we are heirs. Imagine that a small community set down in the midst of the empire and all its aggressive militarism is a small community that refuses to participate in the anxiety of the world because it imitates birds and lilies in the sure confidence that God in heaven knows our needs and supplies them. This is what Jesus invites us to do as a community, as a body of followers, to orient ourselves towards the other, to embody a sense of justice, a sense of peace, uh, a future reality that is... Uh, free of anxiety, something that runs in a different direction to the world around us. And Jesus takes responsibility for that. He doesn't run away from it, doesn't, sh- doesn't sort of shy away from it. And those become the most challenging things because I think more often than not, we are like Pilate and we are inclined to want to just do what we need to do to maintain. Don't, don't rock the boat. And rocking the boat sort of isn't doing this like crazy like stand on a mountaintops or like claim the territory or whatever sort of other troped out cliche you can think of. The thing we do that rocks the boat, that changes people's lives is to move towards them in service and humility and generosity. And those things, though they feel small, change the world. This is the reality that Jesus models to us. And so I think for us to kind of capture that, we need to connect with something of the experience. And so just as we come to something of a close this evening, um, I want to do a little Lectio Divina exercise. If you've never... If you've never done Lectio Divina before, it's not super intense. All I'm doing is I'm going to read a a chunk of scripture to you, and I'm going to read it to you three times. The first time uh, is just so you can hear the story, just so you can listen to the, what, the, what the words are saying. And you just sort of slowly start to just take note, like what are some key words that, that sort of jump out at you? And then the second time we listen through it, you imagine yourself in the story and you try and imagine, okay, like where, where am I in this room? Is Jesus washing my feet? Am I watching him wash Peter's feet? Maybe you're even right sort of next to Jesus, washing someone's feet alongside him. There's no right or wrong answer, but it's just a, it's just a, it's a way of just, just praying and looking for yourself in the story. And then the third time, we're looking for the one thing that that's really going to like just grab your heart? What's the one takeaway? What's the thing that Jesus wants to say to you? If this, is, if this sounds a bit foreign, it's, it's uh, just to let you know, this is part of Ignatian spirituality. 
Um, it's, it's, a, it's a way of praying that's been around for an incredibly long time in the church. And it's a wonderful way of engaging with the Scriptures and a way of engaging with the Scriptures that, you know, takes us out of our head a little bit, which we're very inclined to do a lot of the time. I know that's certainly the case for me in particular. Um, and, and really takes us into that heart space of, of letting the Word minister to us. Um, and so... Uh, what I want to invite you to do is, is, you know, I think closing eyes often helps in this space, but just make yourself comfortable a little bit. If you want to go and stand in a different part of the room, that's fine as well. You know, this will just take us, you know, sort of five or ten minutes, and, and then we'll just wrap up and we'll spend some time together this evening. And so just take a moment to, to, to still, your, still yourself a little bit before God, and we will move uh, into this time of Lectio Divina. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the Satan had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the Satan had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Peter, 
who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the Satan had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you've got no share with me. Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And so, Lord, as we contemplate these stories on our, our Lenten journey, these stories of the Gospels, Lord, we pray that you would open us up to the other, that you would uh, inspire in us uh, a deep love of, of service and humility, of recognizing the need to go to hard places, to, to create spaces for others to be vulnerable, to create spaces that are safe, to create spaces that are open and warm and loving and gracious. 
Help us to embody that mishpat, that justice that is for all. Help us to live the reality of the upside down kingdom. Once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.